It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. You're welcome to the COB. It is the 29th of July. I'm Nadine Blaney. Scuddy, we had a big day here at AusBiz. Yeah, hump day. What a crazy day it's turned out to be in all, all different kinds of ways, but uh, <laughs> good, in a good way, I should say. It is a good way. Well, not for the markets. Uh, overall, we saw some selling through the day, the 200 down by about a quarter of 1%. Uh, no big surprise if you take a look at where some of the pain was felt in particular. Uh, look no further than the big miners. Um, I'll add CSL in there. We had the tech space down. We had the energy names down. Really, it was the banks that uh, saved this market from further falls. Yeah, so the APRA was out with some uh, some information, some advice, uh, or should I say requirements when it comes to dividends moving forward. Now, some people are saying that may have contributed to the move, but I do look at uh, what was happening in Wall Street overnight. Uh, and banks performed quite well there. Yeah. In fact, a lot of those reopening sectors performed well uh, as for the actual reason. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you that there was no, no breakthroughs when it came to coronavirus or, uh, or promising signs, but that, alas, that was enough to go and boost that sector overnight. Yeah, certainly so. We saw TCL up, we saw Brambles up, we saw, um, yeah, a few names there, even in the, in the REIT space here in Australia. But I'm, you know, burying the lead which I don't normally do, I've got to say. Rio well, Tinto I do all, I do all the time. <laughs> finished the day down by eight tenths of 1%, but it finished up trade here in Australia prior to the release of the half year report in London. So I'll just quickly, um, you know, not assuming everybody has seen it in detail, run you through some of the figures. So uh, when it comes to net profit, it saw a 20% fall in net profit. Really, the company is balancing really high iron ore prices, again, against the global backdrop. So the net profit came in at $3.32 billion, so that was down from $4.13 billion. It was under estimations, um, but it uh, wrote down in the same period a year earlier its investment in the Oyu Tolgai copper deposit in Mongolia. So that's what's behind uh, yeah, that and then the underlying earnings that hit $4.75 billion. So that actually did beat the forecast for underlying earnings. Um, but what we'll most likely be talking about and what the market will be digesting is the dividend. So it did lift the dividend payout to $1.55 and that's despite that 20% fall in net profit. Importantly as well, the company did reaffirm its production targets through 2020. Um, but it does list a few, you know, you know, real risks out there. You've got to say, uh, while we are seeing strengthening demand in China, um, we are seeing a slower economic growth in China than we have been used to. So the CEO, Jean-Sebastien Jacques, is saying he's quite cautious about the outlook, particularly for copper. Uh, not only because of demand, but because they are limiting workers at that Escondida copper mine in Chile to help spread or help, you know, diffuse the risk of the spread 
of COVID there. Net debt totaling 4.83 billion at the end of June, which is down from massive close to $13 billion four years ago. So th those are sort of the numbers. Try to keep yourself awake there, Scuddy. But um, it's the dividend. So there's no special dividend being announced. Um, the company's proud to be paying you know, the increase in dividend despite the uncertainties out there. And it is importantly above what uh, the market had expected, up 3% on um, the payout of a year ago. So what do you think? Oh, look, it's a cash cow at the moment, undoubtedly. But uh, when it comes to the likes of Rio, you can also add, obviously, Fortescue to this debate is, uh, you know, can these kind of levels of iron ore be sustained? Well, the obvious answer is no. Uh, how long can they be sustained around these elevated levels for? That's the question everyone's asking about. Such an important thing when it comes to the outlook for earnings. Uh, when it comes to, I uh, know, not only Rio, but uh, the other iron ore miners, as always, it comes down to what's, uh, what's happening on the ground in China. Any insights I can provide on that side of things will be grateful gratefully accepted by investors, I bet. Yeah, increased the iron ore shipments by 3% compared with the 2019 first half. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to look through it all, but I've done keyword searches. I'm not seeing really any price forecasts for iron ore going forward. But as I did mention, it is committed to its uh, production guidance that it provided for 2020. So again, just continues to talk about its high quality assets, strong balance sheet. Um, yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see how the London market responds to this, uh, this result and also what kind of commentary comes from the company. A lot of shareholder pressure there, particularly around some of its uh, governance issues. Um, so yeah, by the time we wake up tomorrow, we will have plenty of further fodder on Rio Tinto, Scuddy, but I know it'll be a bit of a battle in my heart between Rio and the FOMC. You? Uh, look, in terms of importance, there's no contest. FOMC <laughs> will win every single time there. Uh, but no, what it comes down to the Fed tomorrow morning, not a whole lot is expected, which obviously opens the door for a surprise. I think there is going to be an element of surprise will be on the Ford guidance side of things. Will the Fed go and deliver uh, a more firm uh, outlook when it comes to what they're going to do with the interest rates? Is there going to be some indication of forward guidance? Is it going to be like a yield curve control target? Uh, is it going to be based on a time length? They're the kind of questions people are asking. But in the broader scheme of things, it's not really going to matter because I think when you think about what the Fed is going to do over the next few years, who can see anything else but them keeping rates rock bottom for a long period of time and then just adding stimulus when the economy requires it. That's the most broad thing, whether it's about uh, no yield curve control or anything of like that, it's really irrelevant. We know that rates are gonna be low for a long period of time. Okay, so that's the FOMC. We'll be getting some of that uh, commentary coming from Fed Chair Jay Powell um, before the market open here in Australia, obviously. So we'll be keeping our ears trained and tuned to that. AP Eagers was one of the better performers today, held its AGM by close to 13%. I didn't read a lot on the report. I will be looking into it, though, because that's a pretty strong reaction, clearly, to some of the commentary, um, you know, coming from that meeting. Uh, it's one of those benefits of government stimulus when it comes to, like, you know, used car market and, and car demand. So we've seen that with other stocks. The question I think everyone has to be asking themselves is, can the performance be sustained once this stimulus has been removed? Um, IGO was the worst performer. Independence Group down by close to 13%. I gotta say, one of my highlights today, Scuddy, was holding a big gold bar. Big gold bar, yeah. It's a shame we couldn't take it home, but uh, <laughs> maybe split Buy it. Buy a home with it, really. Yeah, maybe. Well, in city, 
might get like a reasonable uh, three bedroom <laughs> unit, but yeah, with no change. But uh, elsewhere in the country, I'm sure you can buy some nice digs with 1.1 million, but uh, always nice. And the one thing that always comes across, isn't it, Adeem, is just how heavy it is. When you're actually going to feel the, uh, the, the weight, you know, atomically weighted, you know, like, you know, why it is where it is. Yeah, and uh, talk to us about the gold price action today, Scotty. Yeah, so a bit of profit taking. You know, it's still above the other uh, previous record highs in US dollar terms. Uh, but you know, a bit of a bit of a stalling. A lot of stalling elsewhere across other markets. I've got to say, the uh, currency markets is a bit a uh, bit of a meh session. Nothing was going on. Same with stocks, and I think a lot of it comes down to well, we talked about Fed. We know what's going on with the uh, the current uh, Malay. When uh, we're talking about the fiscal stimulus uh, package in the United States, there doesn't seem to be any progress really going on there. And then you throw in the other uh, tech earnings uh, that are coming up on Thursday. So there's so many big risk events out there, so I'm not surprised that volumes are weak and uh, not much is actually happening in markets from a, a top-down perspective. U.S. earnings season today. Tonight we get Boeing. It's a big one. So we'll be looking for commentary around the global environment. Um, obviously, there's been a few scandals at that company, um, particularly in relation to the 737 MAX. So Boeing is one part of that equation. But we've also got a big meeting in front of the Congress Antitrust Subcommittee, Google, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon are all testifying. It's going to be interesting. It'll be really interesting to hear from Jeff Bezos, but also to tap into the kind of questions that he's going to be asked. If you'd like to get a little bit of analysis on that and also how earnings season is likely to shape up for the tech giants, listen to a chat that we had with Kenny Paul Carey from Slatestone in the US. You can access that via the show notes. There's a couple of other really great interviews that you can listen to there, including one with uh, freelancer.com's Matt Berry. Uh, again, a smaller company, but it did report today. And I thought this was really interesting, Scotty. We spoke with Stephen Wood from Iger Capital. He's in the small cap space and he said, listen, if you want to start playing the vaccine uh, thematic, don't do it via biotechs, which is potentially you know one of the ways that would first come to mind. He's actually saying play the vaccine thematic via the travel stocks. Not a bad theory at all. Yeah. But the one thing I takes two to make a market as well. When it comes to corporate travel, I'm I'm still not of the view that we're going to return to anything like we've seen in the past. I think that companies go and see what's happening. They see the ability for it to go and do things remotely. Uh, the days of uh, flying business class and getting put up in a business hotel. Whilst it's uh, it's lovely to go and do it when you do it occasionally. I think uh, I'm, I'm not of the view that that's going to go back to anything that we saw pre-COVID anytime soon. Okay, so if you would like to know what companies he is recommending, and it is not the obvious, it's not Flight Center, it's not Webjet, you can listen to that video via the show notes. Temple of Webster was the stock of the day. TPW is the ticker code. It reported yesterday down by 3% today. Kashi sat down with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Here's what she had to say. I know it looks expensive, but when you are seeing upgrades and momentum coming through, those multiples can fall very quickly. And that's exactly what we're seeing at Temple and Webster. If you have a look at their full year numbers that were released, 74% growth in revenue. But the key is if you have a look at the second half, then we saw revenue up by 96%. And then if you compress it down even further, and the fourth quarter revenue Mm, was up by 130%. So you're seeing accelerating momentum. So I don't think you want to be selling into a story like this. And the great thing about this business is 
that it has fixed costs. So once you see an acceleration in terms of momentum, investors get a lot of froth off the top, which is what you want to see. Right. Those fixed costs remain stable and those extra sales go down to the profit line. So right. Temple and Webster, I think a great um, stock for these times. And obviously COVID-19 has accelerated that structural trend to online. Like what matters today is what is it worth today? Yeah. What are my earnings like going forward? So from an enterprise value to EBITDA, so it's like a PE kind of multiple, it's about 25. It's not, it's not crazy for a company with 130% sales growth in, in the final quarter and, and a lot of operational uh, leverage in there. So it looks good. Do need to bear in mind though that there's probably been a bit of a sugar hit from people not being able to get furniture in the traditional way. Yeah. Um, so the question is whether they can maintain that very high rate of sales growth, but I need to do more due diligence on it, but I think it's very interesting. Okay. And that was Andrew Page from strawman.com finishing the thoughts there on Temple and Webster. So we've got building approvals data, 11.30 tomorrow. Scuddy, not likely to be market moving. No, it's as volatile as a cat in a hot tin roof. The, uh, when you go and add in uh, the volatile uh, higher density components to it, it's almost impossible to go and predict uh, month-to-month movement. So just don't. It's not even point. It's not even any point. So use the trend figures and uh, keep an eye on what's going on with the uh, the standalone dwelling approvals. Uh, I know that gives you some better insight as to the overall trends and what's happening. All right, noted on that front. We've got Howard Silverblatt. He's from S and P Dow Jones Indices, and he's going to be joining us in the Upshot at eight ten a.m. He will be going in depth on U.S. earnings season and the reports that come through through the overnight. Really looking forward to that one. He is solid. Also, we'll be speaking with Nathan Sheets. He's chief economist at PGM. So key takeaways from the FOMC meeting right from New York. Chris Stott, CIO at 851 Capital. So small caps in particular at eight, at 1020, I should say. Looking forward to that one. And we will be speaking with Beth Fraser McLeod at Sean Partners at 4 p.m. Scotty. To wrap the day, we'll have a couple of those company reports to mention. Genworth is out with Half Year. Uh, we've got Simic as well. Macquarie's, so Macquarie's good. It's AGM. Yeah, yeah, we've got Macquarie AGM. And actually, I should mention, we'll be bringing you to that live because it's a webcast. There are silver linings in this COVID uh, scenario. You know, it's been a, a little bit easier to... Do not have to send cameras to these places. It's all being done for us. So looking forward to tomorrow, Scuddy. As per usual, it's Thursday. Looking forward to it. See you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.